Hi, this is Larry Hama, and you're listening to Back to the Bins. Up, Hello. What's up, homie? Nothing. Sitting here in my new digs. <laughs> I was afraid of what you were going to say there for a second. Sitting there in my underwear. Sitting, sitting here naked. <laughs> and that means it's Tuesday. <laughs> and now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. What's up, Dave? Not much. Recovered from the snow. That's about it. Losing How about you down there? Yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. I'm uh, I'm counting down the days until the the Geek Squad people come and. Uh, finish off the the last things that need to be done for my theater room and then I'm going to be one lazy f- sitting around watching movies that's oh, right please like you're so energetic hey i've been busy he he does have those cat like reflexes you know so dave i'm guessing it's rather cold in your basement today <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't understand when we my wife and i first got married she was always cold and i was always hot now i'm always cold I don't think I have a camera on You guys, you can't see me, right? We're counting our blessings. Yeah. I was just going to say, thank Christ for that. <laughs> well, you you usually podcast in the nude, don't you? <laughs> That's the rumor, anyway. It's not so I much the nudity. Office, it's not so much the nudity as it is the stick up his ass. <laughs> yeah, look at this. Oh, dude. That poster right there, the one on the right, the one of him with his with his knees propped, I want that. I had that when I was like seven, and I spent years looking for that again. Did you pay much for it? I think it was about $37. How come you never age, mother I haven't seen you in how long? How long has it been? You haven't aged today. Look at you. Let's see. I think it was 2016. No way. Has it been that long? Right. We haven't done a, f- a freak get-together since then, right, Paul? That's because you guys suck. Did I, did, did I see you at Disney <laughs> and you since don't, then? Yeah. And you don't come up to New York anymore. I came down for, we, we took that trip for Teresa's graduation, and we went to the Coca-Cola place. That's right. Did, yeah, when was that? That had to be, that wasn't that more than a couple of years ago, was it? I think it was 16, 17. It was 17. Damn, has it? God, has it been that long? Yeah, it's going to be four years. Jesus Christ. That was a riot. That was so much fun. Remember trying on hats at the hat place? <laughs> America. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. See, I, I, think I, for, I think you told me, but I forgot that you finally got that poster over there on the right because uh, I saw one again the other day on eBay, and I almost texted you about it, and then I was like, I think he said he got that. But then it yeah. ended up shooting up way. It, it started out low, 
when I thought about texting you about it, and then when I when I was actually getting serious about it, it suddenly like jumped way up to where it was unreasonable. So I was like, ah, he won't be interested at, at that price. Not at those prices. Everything but is it, so through the roof with the Superman original stuff from the 70s. I know it. I still want that one. Uh, it's the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez where Metropolis is behind, like he's flying. He just looks happy and he's flying. Yeah. And I think there's a bird and there's a, the cityscape behind him. I love that print. I don't know. It was part of some, some set where there was like three prints in the set. It was that one. There was a Perez one. And there was a, I want to say a Kurt Swan one. I don't really like the other two, but I love that one by, uh, by Garcia Lopez. It's awesome. One can never have enough Superman stuff. Is that uh, right, right directly behind you right there? Is that um, is that a Wayne Boring Superman statue? Yes. That yeah. is awesome. There's a whole yeah, there was a, a series of them from the like the 40s, the 50s, the 70s. I don't see a, a pewter Superman. Yeah, uh, well, well, maybe <laughs> you should open, open your f***ing eyes. There we go. That's that's the that's the prize of the of the uh, of the collection. I just had one of those that was Iron Man. I gave it to Bill because he collects like little pewter comic book guys and stuff. And I don't even remember where the hell I got it from, but I figured he he would love it more than me, so I let him have it. I show you something that I got. I got it when it was cheap, and now it's gone through the roof. From the original Superman, the movie. That's nice. I have. I have a police car of my own. Do you now? <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> Someone who cared about you must have gotten you that. <laughs> Just think when oh, I'm yeah. dead, the amount of crap that's gonna go in a dumpster. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm. That's my biggest fear: is all my shit's gonna wind up at the <laughs> Salvation Army or something. Missy keeps saying, no, no, I won't do that. You've asked me not to. I won't, but I know. I know. I no, there's no reason I'll send it. Bringing the Salvation Army is too much trouble. I'm just going to throw it out with the trash. Yeah, exactly. I won't I won't even be cold yet, and she'll call two in the truck to come pick it up or something. That's By two you mean Bill and I? <laughs> Don't be silly. Where are you going to get a truck? <sighs> Now I feel bad. I don't have a camera because we can't play show and tell now. Because well, I don't really have most. Much. Most of my show stuff is still packed. You know, it's it's in the process of being unpacked. Uh, I don't yeah. have all my all my comic stuffs in the theater room for the most part. This I this this room I literally try to keep like as an office. I'm trying to like do business stuff in here. I think I'm being steered to put as much stuff in my office as I can and <laughs> keep to, <laughs> keep it out of the house. In you know, well, the house at large. This used to be the basement until I had to start working from. <laughs> yeah, well, I got I have four monitors along this desk right because two two personal ones and then two for work. You're lucky. This screen sucks for work. It's like I have to make the print on everything so big or I can't read. That's part of the process. We all, so I told we, we all Scott. I told Scott, but I didn't tell you yet. Guess where I'm going? This hell. Where are you going? Alabama. That's hell. <laughs> Why are you going to Alabama? Teresa got into Alabama. You gotta say it like Forrest Gump. Alabama. I hear. I don't hear Gump. I hear Joe Pesci going Alabama. My uh. We we have we have friends whose son is is he's he's finishing out his first year in Alabama. Tuscaloosa, right? 
I don't know. I don't even know. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah. You know what their claim to fame is, right? Well, Alabama, I know their claim to fame is, you know, Joe Namath and Bear Bryant. Not Bear Bryant. Yeah, Bear Bryant. <clears throat> they run enough electricity through you to light up Birmingham if you're convicted. Yeah, so we're driving Teresa and I to Alabama. So she's she wants to go there or she wants to it's see it to decide? No, it's between Alabama and George Mason in Virginia. Either way, you won't be seeing her for months. Of- Alabama's worse because it's a 15-hour drive. To fly, there's no direct flights. You have to connect. So it's a seven-hour travel time. And the airport is two hours away. Uh, good luck with I got to drive my daughter up to New Paltz last week. That's, you know, Paltz is nothing. New Paltz was about, it's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive each way. Brought her up in the morning. I was home by like 1.30. What's that? What did you do to drive this child away anyway? Took her to school, dropped her off at a dorm. <laughs> Mine, it's the ex-wife drove her away. The ex-wife would just drive off. <laughs> I should be so lucky. My luck, I'd be at the bottom of the cliff and she'd land on me. Because <laughs> uh, God hates me. So, Dave, you bringing us in? Sure. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that you picked the war theme. Me? I'm a pacifist. Now, wait. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you're a pussy then. We take it where we can get it, right? <clears throat> I'm going uh, to kill the video. Okay, I was just going to okay. say, we want to kill the video, because uh, I think she, the missus is watching TV downstairs, so between the two, it's killing my bandwidth here. So. What, what is this, this raise hand? What, you, what happens? What? Did, did that show up on your screen? Yeah, Paul raised his hand. Yeah, How Paul's did you foot? even do that? Oh, is, oh, little, oh, is, that to, is that to butt in, like when somebody's... I guess when, you're ta- when, when somebody's talking and you want to say something, oh, and Dave Pastorella raised his hand. That could be useful. That could, that could be also called the shut the... Up button. <laughs> <laughs> Let me I say something button. They should have a you button to respond to the raise hand button. <laughs> and then there's lower hand. Oh. <laughs> I just clicked because it said Dave has raised his hand. And I cl- for some reason I felt the need to click on it. And one of the choices it has is remove from call. <laughs> <laughs> And I could lower your hand. Well, no, I didn't lower it. That was one of the options. Is there a, zone, is there a zoned out and looking at porn? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So comic books, want, huh? <laughs> you want me to bring it in? Or I don't. I don't care. If you want to bring it in, you're welcome to. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Bill Robinson. Actually, no, it's not. This is David Pascarella from Listen to the Prophet, filling in for the immortal Dr. Bill. And welcome to Back to the Bin. I'm so what, what, what I say is, war is hell, but Dave Pascarella is a hell of a nice guy. Uh-oh. Just to kind of stick with our theater show, that was I spent hours thinking. And it was worth Aww. it, it showed. <laughs> so, I'm Paul Spitaro, and we got the other guy here. Hi. I just have one thing to say right out of the gate. Don't you dare, don't you dare call this episode war what is it good for because if i see that shit one more time i'm gonna puke actually i was thinking war is hell but that's besides the point okay that worked well since since you since your icon is the crying baby from the cover of my comic <laughs> you caught that didn't you? Uh, yes i did so 
Dave and Scott conspired to make this a war episode because they picked their books before me, and I just picked mine in response. And just to let you guys know, mine has like eight stories in it. I'm only doing. Oh, thank God. Um, you might have told me that earlier, you prick. But uh, thank goodness, because that's the only story I could get through in your book. So. <laughs> I read them all. Well, you are the war comic aficionado in our group. Someone has to. Yeah. Thank you for taking that bullet, because uh, based just solely on what we're going to cover tonight, I, I, I don't know that my opinion of war comics has changed all that much. So, <laughs> You know, I, I almost like Formulaic, Sergeant Fury, you know, like the ones where you know the characters. Right. Although, <laughs> one of the worst books we've ever covered, and I think was one of our best episodes, was when we did the, the last epi- last issue of Combat Kelly. Oh my god, yes, yeah. I mean, the book uh, was I, awful. As a, as, a, as a defense mechanism, I think I'd forgotten about that until just now when you reminded me, but yeah, that, it was funny. It's probably funnier listening to it than it was recording it. <laughs> it's definitely better than reading it, but yeah, that, that was fun. But in, in the same vein, uh, you know, when I saw that you two both picked war books, I thought, okay, I need some sort of... Well, and I, I came darn close to taking another F troop. In, in all honesty, I, I did not pick my book. I, I kind of sort of volunteered for it when when Dave... Dave and I, like you say, we were, we were conspiring. We were just trying to come up with a, a game plan for you know tonight's episode. And he threw out several suggestions. And when he mentioned the book that I'm going to cover and who's in it, it kind of sparked my interest because I kind of know them peripherally from something else. And I'll talk about all that when I, when I do my book. So I did not pick my book other than going, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that one type of thing. But I, I, I had no familiarity with, I, I try my best. I really do. I try my best not to be a comic book snob, but war comics just, you know, just not really my thing. And I, I think the problem with it is I, I just, I've never really read one that, that, grabbed me all that much um although strangely you know it occurs to me that i don't think i've ever read a gi joe that i didn't like it's funny because every time gi joe comes up in conversation or somebody asks us to do one or uh, you know something like that my first reaction is always kind of like oh god but then when i read it i'm I'm usually end up really enjoying them and and, you know i'm curious about more of the series or whatever so i don't know it's it's kind of odd like that i guess but I don't know if you listened to it, but not that long ago I had Zaki Hassan on, and we did three G.I. Joe issues at his suggestion. And uh, I was not totally – it wasn't that I thought it was a bad book, but I just couldn't get pulled into it. I thought it was good, but for whatever reason I just couldn't – I think there was too much history going into it. Everything is very connected. Yeah. Yeah. So it it kind of kept me at arm's length when I read it. And, you know, it just was, you know, like I said, I could see the quality of the book, but I didn't enjoy it the way I would want to. Well, G.I. Joe to me is is like one of those ones like, say, Transformers. One of the things that that keeps me from really getting into them or even checking them out is not the the fear that I won't like it. It's the fear that I will. (laughs) And then it becomes something else that I end up, you know, wanting to have to track down the issues or even if I don't have any interest to own it, it just becomes something else to throw on the read pile. And, you know, I've got enough stuff on my to read pile right now to last me for the next 17 lifetimes. You know, I don't need more shit to read. 
you know, that, that I'm just never going to make it to. So that that's the biggest reason. There, there are some things I'm, I purposely turn a blind eye towards because I, I don't want to get sucked down, uh, you know, these rabbit holes that detract me from the stuff I really want to get to, hopefully before I die. So, you know. And I'm thinking the lovely Mrs. Gardner would think, oh, shit, he's buying now G.I. Joe's. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You you only really need to get, like, the first 50 or 60 of them. That's a lot of books. take a bit of a nose. (laughs) (laughs) You get one or two long boxes. What's the big deal? Uh, So who's, who's going first today? I'll go first if you want. I'm flexible. Bring us down that rabbit hole, Dave. I take full responsibility for the complete drop in the ratings you're about to have. (laughs) Give me one second here to get my notes. Just one second while I load my Glock. (sighs) All right. All right. You have notes? I actually do. On real paper. Wow. That's a level of professionalness that we don't usually see on this show. You you didn't get the email with your copies served and processed? With with the suggested topic list? (laughs) You know, the funny thing is reading these three books, I've discovered I'm... I like <laughs> for all these years I realize I don't like war books. <laughs> I like the concept of war books a lot more than in actuality. I've been collecting war books for forty years, but now that I've read these three, I'm done. <laughs> now that I actually read them, you know, <laughs> you you joke, but I have been buying. I I know you know this, but I have been buying comics like, like a goddamn crazy man. And you joke about that, but it occurred to me the other day that there's there's another genre I, I dove into with both feet and I'm trying to basically collect all of, which is the old Marvel horror mags. And I have managed to amass one hell of a collection, and it suddenly occurred to me, I don't think I've cracked the cover on one of them yet. <laughs> I'm like, what if they suck? See, I, I'm into the Marvel horror comics, but I have not breached the magazine level yet and it's and i see you know you've posted some of them and i think oh i like that and i'm just trying it's a like you say basically it's a rabbit hole i don't want to fall down right <laughs> so it, there's, there's just too many i, I want to stick with my want list that's all <laughs> i feel like like a recovering addict <laughs> it's harm reduction you just cut down you don't eliminate So, Should we get into this one? Let's go. All right. The issue I brought to the table, officially anyway, is G.I. Joe number 26th, cover date August 1984. This particular issue I actually bought off the spinner rack in the candy store. The title is Snake Eyes, The Origin. Script and breakdowns by Larry Hama. Finishes by Steve Leola, Ahola, Aloha, lettering by Rick Parker, coloring by George Russus, editor Denny O'Neill, and editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. The story picks up from last issue, 
at Zartan's Lair in the Florida Everglades. Mutt Torpedo and Tripwire witness Mutt, Mutt's dog junkyard apparently defect to Cobra. Zartan wants to shoot the apparent stray, but is prevented by Destro, who finds it odd that such an animal would be lost in the swamp. Meanwhile, in Spanish Harlem, a youth enters a diner and attempts a holdup of an elderly Asian proprietor with a Colt 45 automatic. While the lone customer observes over his newspaper, the would-be robber disables the gun and offers to buy it from the thief for $50, which he says is a better deal than the customer would offer, who is revealed to be an Uzi-wielding snake eyes. At the pit, Hawk and Scarlet are researching the tattoo that both Snake Eyes and the Cobra Ninja Storm Shadow wear. Stalker arrives and provides backstory. Stalker, Snake Eyes, and a Japanese-American soldier named Tommy served together in Vietnam. In addition to a rifle, Tommy carried a bow that he was highly skilled with. Snake Eyes always carried a picture of his twin sister as a good luck charm. Following one particular patrol, the squad of six was waiting for a pickup at the landing zone by a chopper. As the chopper landed, they came under fire and Snake Eyes is hit. Stalker already on board the chopper ordered Tommy to leave Snake Eyes because he thought he was dead and the chopper should have taken off. Instead, Tommy went back for Snake Eyes and the crew of the helicopter covered them until they could take off. While Tommy bandaged Snake Eyes, the tattoo was revealed on Tommy's forearm. Back in New York, the shopkeeper has been safeguarding some of Snake Eyes' possessions, including his medal and, a good, and the good luck charm of his sister, photograph of his sister. The shopkeeper is revealed to be the uncle of Tommy. Snake, Eye, Snake Eye's parents and sister had been killed by a drunk driver. With no family, Snake Eyes has accepted a place in Tommy's family business. They're revealed to be ninjas. The head of the clan was the hard master, Tommy's elder uncle. The vice president, who was also the shopkeeper, was the soft master, and Tommy, the junior partner, the young master. Snake Eyes exceeds in his training and is taken under the wing of the hard master. Tommy exhibits some jealousy toward his friend. During one training session, the hard master is assassinated with an arrow while imitating Snake Eyes' heartbeat and respiration. Tommy is seen fleeing the grounds, revealed to be one of his. The hard master denies it was Tommy with his dying breath. But the soft master is convinced it was Tommy and that he is now the ninja storm shadow that is working for Cobra. Meanwhile, the Joes in the swamp are being pursued by the Cobra High Command with Junkyard leading them. The final panel shows that the Cobras have been misled by the Joe dog and are now sinking in quicksand. To be continued in the next issue. What did we think of that, gentlemen? I 
actually dug this quite a bit. I, I found myself getting sucked into this. Um, you should buy all you these and issues. I were... <laughs> no. Uh, now, you and I were talking, Dave, uh, the other day when we were deciding on all this. And uh, like you, I, I bought this one off the rack. Um, I bought a lot of the early, like when G.I. Joe first became a thing, like when the comic first started coming out. I remember buying, I think I bought the first even dozen, like the first year of them. Mm-hmm. And and I read them and I had them and I, I you know I enjoyed them and all but uh, you know I wasn't into the TV show or anything like that and um, right away these became real popular and kind of hard to find and and quite valuable and so I dumped all of them I sold them all to Chris Honeywell's aunt because Chris has this uh, this cousin that he couldn't stand. <laughs> That was really into G.I. Joe. So I sold them to Chris's aunt and made a tidy little profit off it or whatever. And that, you know, that was kind of it for me. But for some reason, and I think it it must be just because this was Snake Eyes, you know, his, his origin or it was going to be telling more about him. I remember buying this one off the stands and I bought it and I kept it. I have no idea if I still have it or not. I don't remember. But uh, for the longest time, this was the sole issue of G.I. Joe that I had. And I know I read it, but man, I really didn't remember much about it at all. Um, rereading it for this, and I, I, it's really good. I, I was actually really intrigued with it, and I'm curious, you know, where else the story goes and everything. But you know, like I said, I know I owned it, and I know I, I read it, but damn, I, I just didn't remember anything about it because the thing that surprised me the most—I mean, while you never get a real clear look at him. It sure looks to me like Snake Eyes is a Caucasian dude, and I always thought he mm-hmm. was supposed to be an Asian dude, so that kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, not not that I mind, I just was surprised to see that, because that's not what I pictured under his mask. So, you know, that was a, a bit of a, a surprise to me. But, uh, but yeah, this is really cool. I always, you know, like I said, I was never a, a fan or anything like that, but... The thing right out of the gate, and I, I imagine it's the same for a lot of people that kind of grabbed me with G.I. Joe, was Snake Eyes, because he's got that Boba Fett thing going on, you know? He, he's just, he's the mysterious guy you don't really know anything about type of thing, and, and for that reason alone, he was cool. He was like the only Joe action figure I ever had was was Snake Eyes, just because he looked badass, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I still think he's a cool character, even though I don't really know anything about him. Yeah, I uh, I found this interesting to read. I did have a little of the same experience that I said before that I you know I couldn't totally get immersed in it, uh, but I do find Snake Eyes to be kind of interesting, just like everybody else. Uh, I did know he was Caucasian because the books I covered with Zaki, he had gotten his face repaired, and there was a whole plot with that. So we saw him, uh, you know, with no mask in that issue. Uh, so I, I knew that, but uh, I, you know, the thing I focus on when I've read these GI Joe issues, and I've only read the ones we've covered on the show, uh, but it's the uh, Steve Leahola Leia Leia Aloha art, which in this particular issue I'm finding to be very inconsistent. Uh, I, I thought. You know, looking at the first one, that it almost had like a like 
like a John Byrne type quality. Not so much that I'd mistake them for each other, but kind of just like the thin line work and that kind of thing. Um, this one, I'm seeing that on some of the things, like the uh, the shop owner and you know that whole sequence with the gun. But whenever we see, uh, what is it, Destro and uh, the other dude, uh, and the dog in particular, it just does not look like it's of the same quality. Steve didn't draw everything in this issue. <clears throat> Larry Hammer did draw at least part of this issue himself. And I... When you finish, I have a slight segue to go into with that. Yeah, it says he did the, the breakdowns, Larry Hammer. Uh, who, who's the, the... There's the two guys on the first, on the splash page. Who's the uh, guy who's not Destro? Tartan. The way he's standing there, he almost looks like he's supposed to be a centaur. Like, <laughs> no, nobody that? stands like that. Uh, and I know a lot of artists have difficulties with animals, and the dog here just does not look good. Uh, and, and he doesn't look good on the very last page either, I don't think. He, he looks good when he's rubbing up against the Baroness, though. No. <laughs> but, you know... It, the like I said, the the pages with the uh, the robbery and everything, I think those look pretty sharp. And the flashbacks in Vietnam look sharp too. Uh, I like the artwork there, uh, but you know, like I said, there's an inconsistency to it that I'm not thrilled about. The story itself I found interesting, and you know, this this one was, didn't feel as as uh, exclusive or you know uh, that it, it didn't feel like it was keeping me out the same way the previous story did, but. For whatever reason, I don't have, like, a desire to read more. And I, I don't know exactly, you know, what it is I can put that to. But it's like, okay, you know, this was an interesting read, and now I just move on, and I'll forget about it. Well, what was interesting for me with this issue in particular was <clears throat> I had bought these off the, the rack from issue 5, through maybe 55, I had a run consistent. And I went back at the time and picked up the first five. And I read them originally, sold them, and over the years reacquired them, as you know. Um, in about 2015, I was doing a reading project. And uh, I started reading through, and it took a while. You know, you read through, you stop. In the meantime, before I got to this issue, my wife had an uncle. His name was Gary Hogan, and he served in Vietnam. And he passed away prior to my rereading this. And while we were at his wake, you know, they had a display. He had a ton of medals that he won in Vietnam as a helicopter pilot. And there were some veterans at the wake, and they were telling a story about, you know, when he was in Vietnam. And he specifically referenced that they came in to pick up some soldiers from a landing zone, very similar to the comic book. And they came under fire. And the procedure was, according to them, was if you're fired upon, you get the helicopter out of there. Because you don't want to lose the ship. 
and he came in to get these guys. They came under fire, and basically he did like the comic book. He took out his forty-five and he fired out the window, and the tail gunner opened. You know, the door gunner opened up, very similar to the comic book, and he got those soldiers out of there. Like I said, after this, you know, I'm doing the read through. I come to this issue and I'm going, wow, you know, that's I forgot about this. It's very similar. And if you look at page nine, where this all takes place, where Snake Eyes gets hit and you look at the bottom left hand corner panel where the door gunner is, the door gunner has a name tag on his uniform that says Hogan. And I said to myself, nah, it can't be. So I proceeded and I wrote an email to Larry Hama because I know he did serve in Vietnam. And a couple of months went by and he actually then, he did write back to me. And it, it, he did not know my wife's uncle, but he wrote, no, I did not know a Gary Hogan, but I knew an Eddie Hogan who was actually in the U.S. Marines, but I drew him in the story as the gunner. He said pilots and co-pilots fired their sidearms during dust-offs on many occasions, and I wanted to acknowledge that they just weren't bus drivers. I just thought it was so ironic, you know, that it was such a similar story. Right. And I really appreciated he wrote back. It would have been incredible if, yeah, I knew Gary. That would have been but really cool. I got to cool. tell you, this Kathy's uncle Gary, he had a ton of medals. I, I'm in awe of what he went through in that war. And I thought this was sort of a fitting tribute, even though it really wasn't to him. That's cool. That is. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, it just occurred to me that uh, that we met him, that we met Larry Hama at um, at Eternal Con that year. Yep. And uh, he gave us a he gave us a sound clip, but hopefully we still have that somewhere. I'm not sure, but he, he we do. It'll open this show. Oh, nice. Yeah. See, I really didn't know a, a heck of a lot about him, and I, I guess if I'm completely honest with myself, it was kind of a dick move because the book that I took to hopefully get signed by him. And I did get it signed by him. I took with kind of a, you know, kind of a sense of irony because it's the worst issue of Marvel star Wars. And I, I didn't do it. You know, I wasn't thinking at the time it was a dick move. It's just, you know, I, I try to, whenever the opportunity arises to get creators of Marvel star Wars to sign issues, you know, I, I try to do that. And I knew that, you know, he had done that issue, so I took it, and, and he did sign it. But he was really, really nice. He was a cool guy to talk to and everything. And it, it made me kind of ashamed that I didn't know more about him, because I always wondered, I, you know, I knew that, you know, from what I'd heard anyway, that he always, was always very well-researched on his G.I. Joe books and, and pretty much anything he ever wrote. Uh, but I didn't know if he'd actually served or what. So that's cool, you know, that he, he actually had served. That's really neat. That was one of the things I always liked about G.I. Joe uh, and the current run, too, which is, you know, picked up the number and he's still writing them today for IDW. Is it's a, for the most part, 
it has some sci-fi elements, but it's kind of more grounded in the real world. That's one of the things I always liked about it. But, right. You, you know, I, I know we're going to rate covers and everything, but I, when I went over this, I did a little research, and I just have to point out a few things that are, will factor into my review of the cover. The medal that they show on the cover is actually the U.S. Army Silver Star. And the patch that they, you know, there's a, a shoulder patch there. Mm-hmm. That's the real patch. It's from the U.S. Military Assistance Command, Vietnam, 1962 to 1973, Saigon. So, I mean. That's cool. It's it's real. It's not like, oh, I just throw, you know, throw a medal in there and a, something that looks like a patch. That's really real. So, I, I was kind of impressed. That is, that's cool. I love when they do stuff like that. You know, I, I really like it when, you know, the real world elements are, are well researched and everything. That's cool. You know, it's funny. I, I remarked to my wife today. I can't believe how long ago that is now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's right. like Vietnam was almost, what, 50 years ago now? It ended in 73. 72 right think about that when we were kids that was like oh yeah world war ii ended that long ago (laughs) this means we're old dude i know who are you again (laughs) (laughs) so we gonna rate this one i guess Do you want me to do the rating first? Your book, you read first. Starting with the cover, those things plus, uh, I like the paperwork is readable on the cover. You know, the uh, documents from the command, the newspaper article. I'm usually not a fan of the color orange on a cover, but it works. I love the cover. It may be sentimental. I gave the cover an A. Uh, The interior art, basically I liked it. It's detailed. Most panels have backgrounds. Some of the coloring choices in the background is a a little iffy for me. Um, And I'm impressed that at least one character is based on a real person, based on his email. I gave that uh, the art, interior art, a B plus, And I really like the story. There's lots of revelations, you know, that that makes sense. It's not like, and it's his mother who's behind the whole thing. Uh, There's a level of heartfelt sincerity, the tragedy that uh, Storm Shadow went through from, you know, his service in Vietnam to the death of his whole family. No one meeting him at the airport except, you know, Hawk. And uh, there's still some light moments within it. The whole thing with the dog, (laughs) Eh, so-so. But the uh, overall story, I like. I'm giving it an A for an overall uh, grade of uh, an A-. minus. Scott? All right. I'll go next. Um, 
I really like the cover. Um, as you say, I, I like the, just the layout of it, I think, is really cool. And I'm with you. The the orange shouldn't work, but strangely, it, it actually does. It, it draws your eye in, and I'm not sure why, um, but it does work. And it's funny because, you know, it it's not a particularly dynamic cover. It's not a particularly exciting cover. I'm, I'm not sure why it is, but this has become something of an iconic cover. Um, so for that reason, I, I think I'd go, um, I don't know if I could give it quite an A, but I'm going to say an A minus. I mean, it's right up there because this, this has become a very iconic cover. Um, but I, I do like the way it's laid out and everything. And it, it, intrigues you um to to want to dig into the issue because you know it promises to delve into you know one of the great mysteries you know during this time was you know who was snake eyes what's the whole deal with him so it's giving you little clues and little snippets right there on the cover which is really cool so yeah this is the type of thing that uh, you know, would would scream at me, buy me, you know, when it was on the sale, which it did. You know, I mean, by this point, I had moved on. I wasn't really interested in G.I. Joe, yet I bought it because it's a cool cover. Um, interior art is a tough one for me because I like it, but I have some issues with it. I find it to be very inconsistent, and I'm not sure where exactly the inconsistency is. Um, but you know what? It really reminds me a lot because I kept flipping back and forth in this thing going, this reminds me of something. What is it? This reminds me of, and I, it finally hit me. What it reminds me of it is late in Rom, the space night, uh, Steve Ditko did a bunch of issues where he was the breakdown guy and they had like a rotating thing of, inkers i mean it was just one different inker like just about every issue and there were a lot of them that just when you look at it you really get the impression like they were afraid to touch steve ditko it was like they were just so enamored of him that they were frightened to to mess with his art and so the inks look kind of light and basically like they just traced or or you know, shored up his, his breakdowns, but they didn't really add much to it at all. You know, there's not much dynamism added to the breakdowns. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. I, I find it very Ditko like in that respect. Um, I, I really think Steve Lealoha is a hell of an inker. I really like his stuff, but I'm seeing precious little of his actual style, uh, in, any of the visuals I'm looking at here, and I, I'm not terribly familiar with uh, with Hama's style, but I am familiar with Le Aloha, so I'm thinking he he's kind of doing that thing where he's just kind of shoring up the breakdowns, but he's not really adding a heck of a lot, and that that's a shame because that guy's that guy's amazing. He does some really cool art, so it's not bad. I, I'm not down on the art. It's just it's not as dynamic as I wish that it was. And it looks, it, it lacks a fluidity. There's a lot of the book that looks staged, and there's a lot of the book that there, there's action happening, so it, it should feel more fluid and, and more like a, 
you know, like it's moving than it actually does. There's just an awful lot of it that just looks kind of a little stiff to me. Um, but that said, I, I do still think it's really good. And, you know, the page where, uh, where the old man is turning the sign around to close, uh, his business and, uh, and snake eyes is standing up to take off his, his hat or is he taking it off or putting it? No, he's taking it off. That, that, there's something about that panel that's just awesome. That, that looks really cool. So there, there are shots in here that I really do like. Um, Storm Shadow using his bow, you know, that's, that's a great sequence. So there is some really cool stuff. Uh, so overall, I think on the art, I think I'm gonna go, uh, I think I'll go a B on the art, cause it is pretty good. It just, you know, it, it needs a little bit of shoring up. Um, and you know, addressing some of the inconsistencies, and I'm not sure the coloring is is doing it any favors either. The color's a little a little weird, a lot of bright uh, kind of weird colors. But um, the story is the big thing here. I really enjoyed the story. I mean, I I really didn't know these characters. I really don't know what the hell's going on yet. I was I was able to follow it and I was intrigued enough that I am curious to at least finish this arc and, and find out more of this story. Like who is snake eyes? What's the whole deal here? Um, I did find that intriguing. So, you know, on, on that score, uh, I would give it an a, because like I said, I'm coming into this pretty cold, uh, but leaving going, okay, you, you've got my attention. I want to know more. So, uh, overall grade for the book, uh, I'll say an A minus. I, I do think it's a pretty good book. I really enjoyed it a lot. So there you go. All right, I'm going to be a little harsher on the cover than you guys are because I feel like Snake Eyes is a big enough character and a big enough draw that if you're going to start telling his origin, it should be much much clearer from the cover, so that somebody who just glances at it knows. This is a big issue to pick up. And I think it kind of fails in that. I think the cover itself is, is not bad, but I don't think it, uh, I don't think it, it gets that message across to the uh, average newsstand buyer. I do like the fact that the file number, if you look at it, cl- if, you, if you don't look closely, it looks like it says doof. But uh, but the, the co- I mean it's it's a good cover. I just feel like it, it it needed to be more bold than it is to let you know this is a key issue. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a B minus for that reason, and it's based more on more on uh, theory than execution. The interior art, as I said, I like a lot of the sequences, uh, and then there's some that I just don't think look very good. Uh, overall, I do think it's pretty solid, and I think, you know, Scott, your comment about it lacking some dynamism is probably fair. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say a solid B on the art. Uh, you know, could be could be better, but it's you know it's 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 still pretty good. And there's some panels, like you said, the the one with them turning the sign that look very good. Uh, the story, I, I found the story enjoyable, and I think if I were any kind of G.I. Joe fan, I would have even enjoyed it more. So I'm going to say a B-plus on the story, and overall I'm going to give the book a B. All right, fair enough. 
Well, moving along to my book. I think that's where we are. All right. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. All right. So for my book, I am going to cover our fighting forces. And I'm so tempted to say our fighting forceps. I don't know why. But <laughs> our, our fighting forces number 123. And I'm always shocked when, uh, you know, when I see books like, you know, just of this ilk that I'm like, you know, have really high uh, issue numbers like that. I'm always a little shocked. I'm like, damn, you know, they, they published that like Jimmy Olsen, for example, I'm always shocked. Like Jimmy Olsen lasted as long as it didn't have as many issues numbers as it did. I don't know. I guess that's kind of a disparaging thing to say, but I am, I am always surprised by that. Uh, anyway, this is the January slash February, 1970, uh, cover dated issue was actually on sale on the stands. According to Mike's amazing world of comics, on November 11th, 1969. The cover on this one by Joe Kubert depicts four soldiers performing a night drop into a warm and inviting Nazi campfire. And I just want to add the comment, nice shoes. I mean, seriously, what, oh, those are, what the hell's with the white sneakers? Well, he's got the going. Yeah, he does, it does have, show his peg leg, which I think <laughs> just makes it. They're deck shoes. <laughs> They're deck shoes. He's in the name. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, but I don't know. I just you're you're parachuting into enemy. T- I mean, look how many Nazis are on that page. There's got to be ten thousand Nazis on that page, and it's a night drop over a, a a fire. You know, so there's a light source, and he's parachuting in with white shoes. It's like. Jesus, dude, are you? Do you want to get shot? So, yeah, it, it was. I th- just thought it was a little funny. Um, anyway, so there are two stories in the book. Uh, I was not told which one I was supposed to cover, so I'm going to cover them both. Um, the first one is a short, sad tale of a poor grunt bastard named simply Joe, who. T- Totally reminds me of my days in the United States Air Force. Why, you ask? Well, because Joe spends the war doing what I did in the service, freezing his nuts off, performing one thankless task after another for a completely unsympathetic superior officer. Welcome to the U.S. military, kids. (laughs) The poor freaking guy. uh, He's already cold when the story starts. He suffers... By turns, accidental uh, immersion in a frozen lake, sleeping outside that night in the same wet clothes, getting blowed the hell up, being left for dead, being covered by snowfall, spending another night outside in the same clothes under a blanket of snow, rousing himself from near frozen death to single handedly turn the tide of battle being told, good job, now go take that city instead of let's get you some warm clothes and a hot meal, and then being ordered into a suicide mission with the promise of three days rest, a hot shower, and warm grub, only to die on the one-yard line. Holy shit, Scott dropped a sports reference. Yes, I did. (laughs) Um, That's pretty much the tale, and I was digging it right up until he died, and I was like, well, that sucks. (laughs) For him, I mean. Um, to add insult to, uh, well, death, 
the final line of the book is one of his compatriots is walking away from his dead body saying, so long, Joe, at least now you're not cold anymore. Uh, no, dude, I'm pretty sure he's going to be cold forever now because he's freaking dead. So, yeah. Oh, and to <laughs> compound the in- insult, uh, Joe's corpse gets a blanket, which is the one thing that he really wanted while he was alive. So. <laughs> I thought his friend so was implying he's going to hell. <laughs> possibly, possibly. You know, it occurs to me just before I go into the second story that uh, I did not write down the credits on this. And I'm wondering, did it even give credits on these stories? Let me flip back. I'm looking here. Yeah, the first story is, is there even a yeah, cold, cold, deadly as a bullet was the name of the first story. I do not see credits. So I'm going to have to go to Mike's. Wait, no, there is an art credit. Russ Heath did the art. Uh, so Russ, Russ Heath was the artist, possibly the writer, too. I don't see a writer credit, but I will look that up. Um, all right. The second story and the one that I'm sure is why uh, Dave wanted me to cover this one. The other story in the book is uh, Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats in Exit Laughing. Or at least it is for one whole page until you flip it and then suddenly there's a double splash and another completely different header and story title. And I'm going to be honest with you, this threw me so badly that I actually thought that the scan that I was looking at was missing pages. I'm like, wait a minute, that was only one page. But no, it's the same story with two title pages. I just, it completely threw me. I've never seen anything like that before. So anyway, now the story is called The Born Losers in No Medals, No Graves. So kids, this is the story of the losers. You can read along with me in this shitty comic. You'll know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. In a remote, non-denominational military R&R facility, Captain Storm requests an assignment after months of inactivity, but the clerk can't seem to find his name on the duty roster. Same thing happens to Gunner and Sarge, and then to Captain Johnny Cloud. What's going on? Turns out these guys all have one thing in common. They're complete stereotypes. I mean, um, they're all they all suffered the loss of their respective units and now consider themselves, quote unquote, born losers. Bound by common suctum, the four are given purpose again when Lieutenant Hunter and the Hellcats reenter the story to offer the newly formed team of losers a dirty, dangerous job. What have we got to lose? They reply. I'm thinking um, 10 more pages of story. The assignment is for Captain Storm to take the place of military intelligence officer Howard, who is not only a dead ringer for Storm, but he also has a wooden leg like him, too. Holy convenience. All Storm has to do is pretend to be Howard, get captured by the SS, survive interrogation for exactly 48 hours, then break down and surrender false information to the Nazis. It couldn't be simpler. Howard, by the way, turns out to be so bad off that he actually expires sitting right there in the easy chair in the colonel's office because showing Storm that he also had a wooden leg took precedence over seeking immediate medical attention. The losers accept the assignment because plot, and it's on to part two where they say, what have we got to lose a few more times? The plan goes off without a hitch, I guess. 
until after hours of agony pass for Storm, so we're told, he suddenly breaks and reveals the false plans. And now, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm seriously envious of the precision of Storm's internal clock because he knew exactly when 48 hours had passed, despite the fact that he's not wearing any timepiece what the, whatsoever. So, uh, what the hell? <laughs> anyway, at this point, I will freely admit to being kind of lost, really. I didn't know what the hell was going on or what the point of all this was, so... It, it looks like the info that Storm gives up actually was accurate uh, because there really is a raid going on at the location that he tells the Nazis. So what was the thing again? Um, I don't know. Maybe one of you guys can clear this up when we do the notes section. But I, I failed to understand after Storm breaks, it just it kind of goes to crap. I really couldn't follow what was going on. Anyway, the remaining losers do whatever it is that they were supposed to do, and then defying orders and the odds, they stage a daring rescue of their pal Storm, who they've known for all of like five minutes, and manage to send Baron Strucker off a cliff in the process. And then they wrap it up by saying, we've got nothing to worry about now. We're all just born losers. The end. Thank God. <laughs> now, the reason I was kind of curious to get into this is because i actually knew who these guys were sort of well i'll be honest i knew exactly two things about the losers i knew that they all die in crisis on infinite earths number three pages 15 and 16 and that the so-called special crisis crossover losers special number one released concurrently with crisis on infinite earths issue six was a complete friggin ripoff as it does not cross over with Crisis and Infinite Earths at all, and they actually die a completely different way in that mm -hmm. special, making it quite possibly the very first uh, of many Crisis Death retcons, which really pissed me off when I bought that book brand new, uh, because it retconned a story that was act it just came out and crisis was still going on so it was really frustrating but yeah that's so i, I was curious about this just because i had that passing familiarity with I, I at least felt like i knew storm and gunner and sarge and uh what's his name cloud were from their appearance in crisis but that's pretty much all i knew about them and this you know this is the secret origin um yeah, it kind of felt like they should have kept it a secret. I'm sorry. I just, it wasn't very good. I'm curious what Dave thinks. Maybe Dave thinks I'm being too harsh on it, but I I just, yeah, I just, I didn't dig it. I'm sorry. I don't know why you picked this book. This was terrible. <laughs> Did you, you, you know, my exposure to the losers was like you from Crisis. And I really. <laughs> For some reason, I right. I like them, and, and and even the the crossover. See, I'm trying to do anything but talk about this book. The crossover, <clears throat> I even accepted at the time the retcon because in my head I said, well, you know, there's a whole new word now, and that was in the past. So historically, that that's how they died. They died in the war. I I could live with that. This this was terrible. Uh, it, it, it was just a, same like you. I read that 
Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats. I wrote that down. Oh, yeah, that's the title. Very confusing. Uh, hang on a second. Oh, this was what I liked. They had to go to Grim Castle on Vulture Mountain. Now, is that a tourist spot or what? <laughs> Couldn't you see the material for that? Come spend your vacation at Grim Castle on Vulture Mountain. Terrible. Uh, like you, I said the same thing. Howard managed to die as soon as they found a replacement. Same question as you. How did Storm know the time? I'm going to guess he studied the stars because he is a naval man. Uh, Von Cleet or Strucker, whoever the heck he is with that <laughs> neck. Did he have a broken neck? Because I kind of thought when you broke your neck, you were paralyzed. Or was he just have? Did he just have whiplash and waiting for the lawsuit to settle? Uh, let's see. You watch Punisher Warzone just like a million times and took to the fashions, I guess. Oh, God. Uh, I, I've got a question for you. Um, I'd never heard of Lieutenant Hunter or the Hellcats before, and they have a woman on their team. I mean, like a, like a woman soldier, and that really threw me. Do you know what the deal is with that? Me, I've only heard the name of them. I, I've never seen them before this. I have a lot of these are fighting forces, but I, I haven't gotten to read them yet. So I don't know whether they c- come back or not. Uh, this threw me because she she appears. I mean, she looks like she's like a GI. She's dressed just like they are. She's got you know the same hat, the same type of clothes. She's got the same weapon and everything. She she looks like a female GI, except that can't be in World War II. So I'm really kind of thrown by what's going on here. Uh, you know, maybe there's some logical explanation for it, but just coming into this cold, having no familiarity with them, it was a little jarring. Like, wait, did somebody screw up? There there were no female soldiers. So. I will throw out in response to that the boy commandos. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I mean, she's even got flowing blonde hair. Right. I mean, I would tend not to do that in combat, but... Well, I mean, I can see there being a logical... like, Like, say she was a nurse, for example, and... Something happened and, you know, her unit got wiped out and she's the last one. And so she's tagging along with these guys until they can get her, you know, to safety or whatever. And in the meantime, they've trained her so that she, you know what I mean? I I can see there being a whole story. What I can't see is that she's an actual, like, female, like, like, she signed up and joined the army as a, no, because that wasn't a thing in World War. I'm not being sexist. It just wasn't a thing. Right. You know? So. I know the. The losers bring in a female, but she's uh, she's French resistance, so that right, kind of yeah, makes that, sense. Yeah, yeah. This, no, there's no making sense of this one. I totally agree with you guys on the story, but I think the uh, I think the artwork in this book is beautiful. And I know Scott, you're not a Joe Kubert fan, but uh, I, I think there's so many 
great shots. I think all the dynamism that we were missing in the G.I. Joe book, it all landed in here. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be that guy. It's just, I'm, you're, you're that never guy. Just been forget a, about it. <laughs> I've just never been a Kubert fan. And, and that's a lot of the reason I think that I, I've never been able to get into war comics is, I mean, now I like Russ Heath. I like Russ Heath a lot, but I'm looking at the Russ Heath stuff in the first story and all I'm seeing is Kubert. So to me, it's like, when it comes to war books, everybody's chasing Kubert's style the same way in superhero books for so many years, and even still somewhat today, everybody was chasing Kirby. It's like everybody wants that look. And I can understand because, I mean, Kubert's war stuff was really, really popular and everything, but the problem is if you don't dig it, then you're kind of out because it's what everything looks like. And, yeah, but I do yeah, dig just, it, and I think this book is beautiful. The stories are shit, <laughs> but, but the, the artwork <laughs> is gorgeous. It's almost worth picking up just for the artwork. Now, to I, me, I to me, Dave, that's your savings grace on, on having so many issues of our fighting forces that you haven't read, is at least, you know, you're likely to see in most of it, I would imagine, Qbert artwork. Well, it's like I said before. I Me, I do like the artwork. I love the concept of this. It's just it's not executing here. Well, the story is just I, I don't even care. But just like I said, I think there's so many images in this that I just think look great. And uh, I mean, it, it's definitely of its time because, you know, in, in this era, you'd have Neil Adams over, you know, at DC doing books and you'd have uh, what's that, Dick Dillon and, and uh I also right. just blank, and, and all people doing a lot of things similar style-wise, uh, you know. I, and I guess part of that goes with just the fact that there was somewhat of a house style. Uh, but the house style at that point, I thought I think the house style was very dynamic in that era, and I really enjoyed the, the just just looking at the uh, pictures. Uh, the the shot of uh, Baron Strucker when he's falling off the mountain before he actually goes over the side when he's kind of like thrown. Uh, you know, I know that's one of Dr. Bill's favorite things, how his hat bleeds into the other panel. Yeah. Now, somebody out there is going to be like, wait a minute, I thought Baron Strucker was a Marvel. I, I called him that because he looks just like him. That's not actually Baron Strucker. I just want to make that clear. But he, he looks so much like him, I couldn't help but draw the comparison. So. Now, what's up with this 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 little one uh, three-panel thing, stuffed shirt? Oh, my God. What is up with that? <laughs> just, just for anybody listening, it's three panels, and it shows uh, an army man standing on a scale... Uh, and he's clearly, you know, overweight. And he's he's looking at the uh, reading and says, I'm not sure if that's my weight or date of birth. Then the next panel they show he's at the back of a bus and the front wheels of the bus are lifting up because he's so fat. And then uh, the third one, he's in a cafe in France, apparently. And, uh, and, and the waitress who's in the, you know, the French maid costume 
saying, but mon chéri, that is the table you are sitting on. So I guess he's not just fat, he's also like a giant, because he's sitting on the table. And <laughs> but but that what, remind, what is that? That, rem, that reminded me of a ripoff of uh, Beetle Bailey, remember, in the yeah. paper, Sarge? Mm. Yeah, I was thinking like Beetle Bailey or Sad Sack. He's like a fat Sad Sack or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's just, but, it just so doesn't go with the rest of the stories that are in here. Which are pretty, you know, pretty heavy. Well, I mean, we need that, something to lighten it up. I guess. Yeah, not that Beetle Bailey or Sad Sack were the most realistic depictions of being in the service either, but this guy is really out there because, especially back there in this time, they, you know, they had the Fat Boy program, man. And, you know, you you exceeded a certain weight, you were out, you know. So it, he doesn't make a lot of logical sense. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know why that's in there, because it just goes so against the tone of the book otherwise. I mean, right. I guess it's comic relief, but... <laughs> you know, the most important thing that we skipped was the the ad for the Plastic Army Men, 126 <laughs> for $1.24. <clears throat> this is certainly the... the book you should place that ad in. That was right. one of the first emails I ever wrote into uh, one of the two, two, two True Freak programs because that had come up. I actually wound up with that crap. I spent my <laughs> money from the ad I thought I was getting regular, you know, three-dimensional figures and I got a box of this two-dimensional crap. I've been bitter for 50 years. <laughs> I think DC owes me something. <laughs> I love the ads. I, I dare say, <laughs> I think the ads are the best part of the book. There's some really, really good ads. I mean, the comic ads are really good. You know, the house ads. But then uh, I always love the old Hot Wheel ads from back in this time because I had older uncles and so I inherited a lot of their, like, 60s Hot Wheel tracks and cars and stuff. So this this one ad, the one that shows the little two little kids playing it, says, here are seven ways to beat your buddies. Um, I'm pretty sure I had that exact set that they're playing with right there. It looks really familiar to me. So, yeah, that that's really neat. I, I love stuff like that. All right, so we're going to rate this one now. Yeah, all right. Let's go ahead and give it a rating. Let me flip back to the cover here. I'm trying to remember the cover. What did I think of the cover? Uh, cover. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. The parachuting in. Eh. Eh. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just not a Joe Kubert fan. I'm sorry. I. I don't fault the guy's dynamism. I think he was a hell of a layout artist. But I think that's what he should have been, was a layout artist. I think he should have let other artists then refine his work. It's it's this damn scratchy thing that he's got going on. I'm just not a big fan of it, whether it's him, whether it's John Romita Jr., whether it's, you know, there's a bunch of artists that do this scratchy thing. And I just don't like it. It looks unfinished to me. It always bothers me. It's like, why didn't they 
clean it up and finish it. It just it, it just has that that quality to me, and I, I I just don't care for that style. But you know, art is subjective, so somebody else might might really dig it. I, I don't know, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work, you know, in that scratchy art style. But then it also doesn't quite work just as a logical. It's like all right, so they're parachuting in. And what's the deal? With, I mean, this is like a like a zombie. What do they call it on The Walking Dead? The the herd. They get those herds of zombies. This is like a herd of Nazis. None <laughs> of them are shooting. What the hell are they doing? Why are there so many Nazis just standing around in this field? I mean, it, it's just it's kind of it, it's it, the more you pay attention, the more you start looking into the background. And realizing just how many people there are in that picture, the the sillier it starts to make the picture seem. So yeah, yeah, and you're right. Nobody's shooting at them either. They're just kind of waiting for them to to land. They're actually and there's not Nazis. a lot of. They were just hanging around singing <laughs> Kumbaya. I guess yeah, they were having a campfire. Yeah, a jamboree. Well, then also it, the the cover is kind of weird too because. The title of the book is Teeny Tiny up at the top, and then you've got this really awkwardly placed box featuring, and it's you know it's telling the names of the, and the losers, and it's a weird kind of washed out blue, and yeah, it's just I don't know, it's just a very odd cover. So I don't know on this one, I I think I'm gonna go a C minus. There's just there's so much room for improvement on on the cover. You know, if you if you really want to grab you know a kid's attention and get them to you know to shut you know shell out their 15 cents, then uh, I think you you could do a little better than this. Um, interior art. I don't know. It, it it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not my aesthetic. That's the that's the problem with it, or that's my problem with it. I should say is I you know. I don't think there's anything actually wrong with it. It just doesn't appeal to my art aesthetic. Um, the color palette, the, the use of color is very simplistic. It's it's almost like coloring book level. Um, I don't see a lot of dynamism in the colors, and that doesn't really help it either. There's a lot of odd choices in the colors, a lot of purples and and just you know, some really strange coloring choices here. So art wise, I mean, it's two completely different artists. You've got Russ Heath in the first story, and that's the only credits I could find on that. The the other story, by the way, the, the losers story proper was uh, Robert Kaniger was the, was the writer and Ken Barr is the artist who I'm passingly familiar with. And I generally like his stuff. I'm not real crazy about it here. So as an art grade for the overall book, um, I'm also going to go a C minus. It just doesn't really do much for me at all. And then uh, story grades. I kind of dug the first story, you know, kind of silly as it was. And I felt really bad for Joe. You know, the guy was trying and I think they were trying to go for kind of an O. Henry ending. It doesn't quite work, but it was still sad. Uh, I like the first story. So the first story in the book, I, I'd, I'd give like a, eh, it's a B. It was it was a good story. The second story, The Losers, I'm sorry, it was just flat stupid. Um, there's not a lot of logic to it. And the, the thing that I found absolutely unforgivable is 
the colonel just lets uh, what's his name? Um, what the hell was the guy? Howard. He just lets him sit there and die. I mean, if he's that bad off, he should not even be in that office. He should be in a hospital. He lives just long enough to show Storm that he too has a wooden leg and then he expires. That's just, that's shitty writing. I'm sorry. That's just silly. Um, and then I never could make, make any sense of the plan beyond the Storm portion of the plan. I don't know what the point of any of this was because what he tell what the information he gives up to, to the Nazis is true and puts his teammates in peril. So I don't know why he did that. It never does explain it. So that didn't work for me either. So story-wise on the second story, I'm going to go a D on the second story. I think it's actually pretty bad. So uh, as an overall grade for the entire book, I will say a C-, and I think that's being overly generous. So there you go. I don't disagree with you on the story. Um, <laughs> I think the cover artistically is fine, but as you say, you know, that the, the scene they're trying to depict is just a little, you know, scratch your head thing. And the fact that, like, a quarter of the page is co- covered with the things where it says featuring the losers uh, really takes away from the dynamism of the cover. So, like I said, I think execution-wise it's fine, but conceptually and layout-wise, I got to take away points, and I'm just going to give it a C+. Uh, The interior art, however, I I think is beautiful. I I love the Joe Kubert art in this book, and I'm going to say an A. I'm not going to go as far as an A+, but definitely an A for me. Uh, and the story is just, it, it makes no sense at all. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say a D on the story, and overall I'll give the book a B-. minus. Um, looking at the first story, I, I guess it was all right. I, I wasn't overly thrilled with it. I had a lot of issues. I figured he, Joe would have been dead the minute he went through that ice. In the frozen tundra, uh, because Joe's I also a learned. Son of a bitch, dude! I don't know. I learned from Sergeant Rock that came out a few years later. The Iron Major had his hand frozen off from the same thing. <laughs> so consistency. The whole feudal quest for warmth, starting when he was a child, sleeping with a hole in the roof. <laughs> just seemed he's been cursed by the cold forever. So, a rather depressing story. Uh, I gave it a, a C- minus in that particular story. Um, uh, the loser story. You know, when I was reading it, I had to stop at one point, because for a second I thought I misunderstood. I almost thought that Howard was dead in the office. And the uh, colonel just pulled his pants leg up for him. And I was like, wow, they don't even notice he's dead. <laughs> and I was like, no, wait a minute. He, he was alive and he died. Talk about perfect timing. He 
he knew exactly how long he had to hold out. Uh, I had the same issues like you uh, guys with the uh, exactly 48 hours. Uh, uh, oh, this was a point I wanted to bring up. The whole they would know it was him by his wooden leg. Wasn't that the plot part of the plot and you only lived twice that Bond went and met the guy and had to hit him in the leg to make sure <laughs> Right, Paul, wasn't that Colonel so something? Up there, they're all blending together, but yeah, there was the guy with the wooden leg. I can't so, uh, what's so it? Henderson maybe Henderson had Henderson. the wooden leg, right? Yeah. Maybe it's a British thing. We have to ask Andy if, you know, you identify... You know, Andy's got a wooden leg. I I didn't know that. See, you learn something new every day. Uh, Cloud referring to the Germans as Apaches. That brings up a whole bunch of issues. The story? (laughs) Oh, my. Overall, the stories... I'm going to be generous because I, I do like the characters... I gave it a C. As far as the art, I like the art. I mean, uh, I don't love it as much as Paul does, but uh, it's good. But there is a little scratchiness. I gave the art a a B minus overall, the interior art. The cover I like. I think it's dramatic, with the exception of the billboard placed in the middle from the 1950s. With the featuring the losers. <laughs> but I get the whole symbolism of the four men versus an army thing. It's kind of like an old fashioned version of the A team. So I gave it, uh, I gave the cover a B. Plus. And the overall rating, uh, the story pulls it down. I give the overall rating uh, a C. Plus. So now when Dave and Scott told me what their books were, I felt compelled to find a war-themed book to get. And I just grabbed the first one that I found, which was uh, called Warfront, which was actually published by Harvey Comics. Uh, And it came out in January of 1953, and the on-sale date, thank you to Mike's Amazing World, uh, was November 1st, 1952. It had a 10-cent cover price. Uh, the subtitle on the issue is True War Exposés. The cover shows a, uh, I guess, a, a dead Asian man. I can't tell for certain if it's a man or a woman, with, with a small Asian child crying over the body, uh, while about six inches away from her, there's a man with a bazooka shooting a tank. Uh, yeah. So, the first story is called the, uh, the Yalu story. Uh, and we open with two dudes in Korea, and I guess, you know, this is actually, this book came out during the Korean War, uh, and they're discussing their regular patrol duties, and one of them suggests that they should bomb the Yalu power plants. And they immediately get orders to do exactly that. So they head off to the border, loaded with bombs, and set off with the planes in formations of three. They reach the target and drop their payload, destroying a generator plant, and then they start to get ready to go and bomb a a dam, 
when some Korean MiGs engage them in battle, uh, they actually drop their, uh, their their payload on the dam and destroy that while fighting the uh, the Korean MiGs. But one of them, when it explodes, blinds one of the pilots. And when it first happened, as I was reading it, I couldn't tell if it was one of the Korean pilots or one of the American pilots. I had to, you know, read for another page to find out which one it was. But it turned out it was one of the American ones. Uh, and he's blinded, but they fly back in formation so as to help him guide, help guide him so that he can come back with them and they don't have to, you know, let just, I guess, sacrifice him. Uh, when they reach the aircraft carrier where they're going to land, he can't land because he's blind. So he makes a water crash landing, and then they fish him out. Uh, and it's, the story ends with him laying in a hospital bed with his eyes bandaged, and the guy who fished him out of the uh, exploding plane uh, in the bed across from him with his hand bandaged. I guess he, I don't know, his hand burned or something. And that's the story. Uh, so... It really, I, I really felt like it just, there was no point in the story where I really, really cared about anybody in the story. Uh, I didn't find the uh, the mission to be all that compelling. Uh, apparently there are power stations in yellow, uh, so that that's somewhat based in fact. Uh, I don't know if there was ever a mission where they bombed them during the Korean War, but the story really didn't do too much for me. I thought the artwork was, you know, I mean, we're talking 19, the 1950s, so I try to give a little bit of a break for that because uh, the dynamic storytelling really didn't develop more until the 60s. Uh, but this, the artwork is just kind of there. So overall, not a great story. What did you guys think? Um... Well, <clears throat> I mean, you, you kind of have to take it with the times, I think. I mean, um, they they did bomb the day. I looked up because I was curious, you know, and they, they did have a bombing mission of uh, 20 F-84s, which is actually the planes they depict in the comic are F-84 Thunder... Thunder Jets by Republic. So, I mean, the, the art's pretty odd. The thing I found interesting was this bombing mission of these dams and power stations. According to my research, which was just cursory, it was in May of 53, which would be after this. Hmm. So, uh, I don't know if they were projecting what they would have liked to have seen. Somebody read this comic and decided to do it. Wow, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? But, uh, I mean, really, taking it for the times it was written in, uh, I didn't get the memo. We were only reading the first one. So <laughs> I went through all of these pearls of wisdom. Well, let me just ask you then quickly. <laughs> were, there, were there any that stood out to you as being particularly good? Uh, I mean, they're all very... They're average, and they all kind of, and I, I do not mean this in a negative way at all, they border on a little bit of propaganda. 
which I kind of understand. You know, we're at we're at war. It was a time where the enemy is the enemy. And what I did find interesting though was the sl- not even I I wouldn't consider it a slur. The slurs were the commies of the enemy. There was no like you would see during World War Two. You know, different types of slurs that were used. That's not the case here. All the stories pretty much except the text pieces, the two text pieces, were basically historical things from World War Two. So I could see this being something that was a little bit of propaganda, you know, get the commies, raw America, the can-do American spirit. And I think you have to take it in the time that it was that it was written. You know, we're going to rally behind this. So, I mean, I didn't find them. I mean, they're, they're not page turners. They're, they're very short stories. Uh, they're kind of drawn out compared to, you know, the short form we're used today to today that you read a comic book in two minutes, you're finished. You know, they're, they're text heavy. And they don't say a lot. It's almost, you know, it's propaganda pieces. But I mean that not in a negative sense. That's what I I took from it. Yeah, the the problem, like I said, and I'm not sure exactly how to fix it, but the problem to me was I didn't find it to be particularly engaging. You know, it's just like, yeah, all right, they're bombing this place. Oh, look, the poor guy got blind. You know, it just never grabbed me. That was my big takeaway as well, and I find that very ironic compared to the purple prose of the opening page that would make Stan Lee blush because, I mean, it's ridiculous. So I'm just going to read an excerpt of it here. It says, Warfront, the mightiest of war magazines and the keeper of the greatest stories of combat. Once again, the leader of the field, the leader of the battlefield. And the reasons lie before you, await in the tense and dramatic, the true and dynamic stories of Warfront. And then each blurb for each story in the book starts the same way. Only Warfront could tell the incredible account of blah, blah, blah. Only Warfront would do blah, blah, blah. Only Warfront. Four times it says only Warfront would do these kind of stories. And then at the bottom it says... Yes, the reasons for the greatness of this magazine lie in front of you, lie in every episode of this diary of action, lie in every thrilling expose of Warfront. Now, granted, I only read, start to finish, the first story in here, but I thumbed the book pretty heavily, and it's a standard run-of-the-mill damn war book. So, you know, know, props to whoever this was, because they, you know, this is Stan Lee before Stan Lee, but it's way over the top of even stuff that Stan would do, like really pumping this up like, hell, this is the this is the war book to beat all war books. And it ain't it ain't that great. Um, the, The actual story that we covered, you know, that you covered, though, the Yalu story. eh, it was OK. And I, I think the art's pretty good. It's a little stiff. Um. But yeah, that's the thing is at the end of it, I was kind of like, okay, what was the point of telling that? It's like there's no moral, there's no real. It's like you you told me the story, that's it. Um, but the guy at the end, the one that's burned, that's not the guy that pulled. Oh, no. The guy that got blinded didn't. He didn't burn up. He he crashed into the ocean. The guy with the bandages on his hands, that's the guy that led him 
back to the ship. He he oh, did okay. crash and he did burn up. So that's who that is, I think. But I, right? you know, I, I think we agree. I, I just felt like it never really was engaging. Right. And that's that's the problem I have with it. Right. Well, the guy Dude. that got blind, do you even have a name? Did blind they do? guy. Uh, yeah, no, they, yeah, they did have a name from. Uh, okay. I gotta look back at it now. Hold on. Is it Kenny? I, okay, yes, I guess Kenny. He did have Kenny. Yeah, but that was part of the problem. Is that you know, it's just it's a bunch of they killed Kenny. It's a bunch of planes flying around, and and it's like okay, I don't know who anybody is. Are these continuing characters from a from a prior issue? You know, I I got nothing here. But I tell you, my one big takeaway from this: go to page five of the first story because the, the the pages are numbered which is nice so go to page five mm-hmm. last panel and then just to the right of the last panel you see that funny looking little blob right there so that's the finger of the scanner yes <laughs> it is and once i noticed it i started flipping through here and the scanner's finger is in a number of the pages, which is just hysterical to me. I've never seen that before. And no, that I never really have either. And I, and I wouldn't have noticed it if you didn't point it out to me, but now it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, you know what I like is the that there's a, uh, there's a house ad for Sad Sack, which is a far superior war book. <laughs> Look at page two of the next story. There's another one. They're, they're all through this book. You can see the, the edge of the scanner's finger. That is hysterical to me. That really cracks me up. Oh, man. Anybody want to guess how long this series ran? Was this the last issue? <laughs> no, it really it lasted this comic series. It made it till issue 35 in 1958. And then somebody thought this would be a good idea to bring this back in 1965 and continue the numbering for another uh, four more issues. Now, what is it? This is Harvey, right? Yeah. They're, they're one of my big blind spots in comics. I don't know a hell of a lot about Harvey. See, now, before I was a comic collector, when I was just a, you know, a young kid reading comics, I read a lot of Harvey comics, you know, Sad Sack and you know, Hot Stuff and whatever other silly humor books that were out at the time. Uh, but none of that, like, survived once I decided that they were serious I guess you put that in air quotes. Serious comics out there for me. The the inside back cover might be the best scan of all that's got a thumb in it because it's right. It's so blatant right there. That is hysterical. And then the guy, <laughs> the guy in the picture, just above the the little thing that you fill out and cut out and send in. Look at the gesture he's making and tell me it's not a like. Like a wanking off thing. <laughs> He's just making that gesture like, yeah, whatever. 
Well, but it, it is a war book. Yeah, it, I guess, yes. It's more like a documentary. Well, I mean, I find that to be one of the interesting things about it is that it's it's not only is it a war book, but it's a contemporary war book. It's, you know, it, it it's depicting the Korean War, and it came out during the Korean War. That's a good point, yeah. You know, it's not like, you know, reading Sergeant Fury 20 years after World War II was over. This is where I'm going to show my ignorance because, I mean, was Korea covered much in the comics? Not that I'm aware of. I kind of think they they did like World War II. They tried to avoid it pretty much. Right. Well, in World War Two, though, I mean, they had pictures of you know, Superman, you know, but but only facing on the off against the the foreign leaders of of the countries that we were at war with. Uh, yeah, right, it was but, only the covers, but still, the, you know, they they still were. I mean, there were all sorts of rally the people kind of covers. You know, Superman walking with uh, members of the military. Uh, you know, different kinds of stuff like that. That you know, they 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 definitely. Uh, made use of the propaganda angle with those books. True. True. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't think there were many stories, at least none that I can remember offhand, you know, where Superman was actually engaged in World War Two. And I mean, Korea was a pretty big deal at the time. I mean, as far as, you know, production of things was interrupted and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I got the feeling that, and, you know, none of us were alive during this, so we can't really say, but, you know, Vietnam became such a rallying point for, uh, you know, for people to say that it was wrong, that I feel like history was then rewritten to make it sound like the people acted that way during Korea. And I don't think they did. I think people were more quick to just kind of go with, you know, whatever the government did at that time. It wasn't until the sixties that, you know, the uh, counterculture movement kind of took place and, and it became more popular to, uh, to criticize what the government was doing. Right. Again, I wasn't alive during that era, so I can't say, and I don't think anybody who listens to us was either. Uh, so, you know, it, it would all be just conjecture on our part. That's that's my conjecture about it. You, you know, it's funny. I, I had a great, you know, it was my grandmother's cousin, but, you know, we called her Aunt Mary. And Aunt Mary was very, very intellectual, you know, straight laced. And one of the few times she ever spoke of anything that was slightly political was from during the Korean War, where she would reminisce about how distraught and upset they all were that Truman had fired MacArthur, because MacArthur was the only one that they felt could, you know, win this war. Hmm. And I always go to uh, the Seinfeld episode when George is getting a, uh, a massage, but he starts having a homophobic moment, 
And and when when the guy asks him, oh, you know, how'd you hurt that hamstring? He just says, Korea. <laughs> like out of nowhere. <laughs> um, on this note, did, did you cover in uh, Is It Jaws Rambo? The the first one, first blood. Not as yet. I was just curious. You do it without me, and then that that's it. Oh, so that's how I get rid of you. <laughs> I love that movie. Because I, I was thinking, that's isn't that a commentary of the Korean War vet versus the Vietnam vet to some extent? Like the sheriff is a Korean vet. Bad, isn't he? You know, I, I don't recall. Is he? I, 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 don't, I don't remember that contrast being presented. I know that that Stallone is playing a Vietnam vet. I didn't. I did never got the uh, the indication that the sheriff uh, was a Korean War vet. It's it, possible it may, that you're right. I just don't. I don't remember even it, hearing it. That. It, may, it may be in the book that I, I'm thinking of. And there's only the only thing you see in the movie possibly is he does have medals, the sheriff. But I think that's supposed to be the deal that why he has such a problem with Rambo. Interesting. Yeah, well, yeah that's a book that, that I always wanted to read. I've, I've never read the book, but I've always wanted to read the book to that. I, I've heard it's very difficult. He died. Doesn't he die at the end of it? I believe he does die at the end. Yeah. I actually think I think they. Well, now I don't die. need to read it. Now we spoil <laughs> it. But more importantly, do you realize you could get only fifty of those cheap plastic things, soldiers, for a buck back in 1951, <laughs> as opposed to for a buck twenty-four, you got a hundred and something in the seventies. Maybe in the fifties they sent like real soldiers over. <laughs> I don't know, they look like the same cheap plastic two-dimensional things. 50 combat action plastic See, that's That's one of those things that they don't ever talk about is the plastic draft of the 1960s, man, where all these little plastic guys that have been living a life of leisure suddenly got drafted <laughs> and wanted up. <laughs> no plastic, no peace. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I didn't even catch that. Yep, 50 instead of 100. Man, that sucks. All right, so I guess it's time <laughs> to rate this one. Um, the cover is not badly drawn, I guess. Uh, but once again, it's just like, why would you look at this cover and think, oh, I want to pick up this issue? I just... There's nothing about it to me that makes me say I want to spend my hard-earned 1951 dime on this book. So, yeah, I'm 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 going to say a a soft C, uh, but it really does it just doesn't do anything for me. The artwork and you know I'm kind of going back to what we talked about earlier that the storytelling in this era was not the same as what we get now. So. The artwork is kind of passable, doesn't really do anything special for me, but it's not necessarily bad. Uh, I'm going to say a C-plus on the art, 
And the story just never engaged me, so I'm going to say a D on the story. And overall, I'll give the book a C-. minus. Now, Scott, you have to give the cover a high grade since you made the crying baby your uh, icon. (laughs) (laughs) The thing with the crying baby is it doesn't really look like a baby to me. It, It looks like... Like a oh god what is what the hell is the PC term these days there little is person no PC term. yeah I don't I don't know what the what the term would be but it, it looks it looks like an old woman that's like a little person old woman it's just it's really kind of it's just freakish honestly and that's why I made it my sky picture tonight just because it's a freakish image so yeah it's it's just bizarre. Um, yeah, the whole cover is just kind of messed up. I do like the violence of the image, though, because it was kind of shocking to me that, well, maybe it shouldn't be, though, because this would be prior to, uh, to uh, like, Seduction of the Innocent and that sort of thing. So, you know, you have the whole EC, you know, with people getting poked in the eye and stuff. So I guess it shouldn't shock me so much. But, I mean, it's a pretty shocking image as far as just the the sheer violence, you know, this guy's firing a bazooka at the tank, the tank's blowing up and bodies are flying into the air. So, I mean, that, that's kind of cool. It's, but I mean, I always kind of judge these things on, would it make me pick it up and read it? And I don't think so. It's just, yeah. I mean, you'd really have to go pretty far as a war book to make me, you know, intrigued enough to to want to pick it up and thumb through it, and this doesn't really do that. I'm kind of wondering, all right, so as you look at the cover, you know, the title is Warfront, right? Then above the title, you've got Warfront again in smaller. Is that meant to be kind of like the Marvel corner box type of thing? So, like, that's on every single... It's just weird that it's there twice. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering if that's supposed to be some sort of like corner logo identifier or something, but it's just strange that it's, you know, you've got the same word, different fonts in two different places. That's just, yeah, I always uh, thought that that corner box was so that if it was, you know, stacked in a certain way, you'd still be able to see what it was. Right. You know, when, when, you know, when you went into like the candy stores where they didn't have, uh, you know, a real good display case for them or a display location, and they might just have like a little right. corner where they stacked them, so that if you were flipping through it, you'd, you know, you would see it right away what it was, because I wouldn't want to you miss know, the most recent issue of Warfront. I hadn't thought of that in, in God, in literally decades, but you're right. I, I'd completely forgotten that because uh, there was a convenience store I used to buy comics at when I was a kid. That That's how they displayed the marbles, was they, they had them arranged just enough that you could see the different corner box on each issue, and that's how they arranged them. So you, you found what you were looking for by looking at the corner. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah, the problem right. with that was you, you found what you were looking for by doing it, but when you did, you kind of messed up the display of all the others. So the next kid that came in just saw like a <laughs> stack with just a book on top. <laughs> Uh, anyway, back to the cover on this one. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'm going to say a, 
I'll be generous and say a C, right middle of the road. I mean, it's it's a war comic. Um, the interior art. Now we're just doing the first story in here, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I thought it was good, but it feels like it's actually from an even earlier era to me, because this this to me is very reminiscent of like Golden Age, and well, I guess. Technically, this is still in the gold because the the silver officially starts in what like fifty six. Well, with showcase so, number four, so whatever that yeah. was. Yeah. So I so I guess this is still golden age. So I don't know. I guess that comment doesn't really. I, I don't know. It it just it it's good. It's it's maybe a slightly more sophisticated than than some of the um golden age art but it just it's it definitely has that golden age feel to it with with the characters i think the the mechanics of the uh you know the the um vehicles you know the the airplanes and the vehicles and the buildings and all looks very good um i think the people are a little stiff and a little a little strange looking but you get that a lot with these types of things, you know, where the, you know, you get artists that have a really good handle on machinery, but not so much on people or vice versa. You know, they're really good with people and not so strong with the machinery type of thing. So, um, but I mean, it works, it's functional. You can follow it. Um, eh, I'll go a C plus cause I, I, you know, I, I do think it's pretty good. It's just, again, not really my bag. And then the story, I don't know. I don't want to be, harsh to the story but like you I, yeah it's like it didn't engage me at all I, it's very kind of matter of fact you know it's like you know gee i hope we get this assignment oh we got the assignment let's go do the assignment we're doing the assignment okay the assignment's over it's like okay well what what have a point to your story and it didn't really have a point this is something we went and did the end <laughs> okay <laughs> well, that's 15 minutes I'm never getting back. So it didn't really, it didn't do anything for me. So, uh, yeah, what'd you say, a D? I, I, I guess I'd have to give it a D because it just didn't really, it didn't engage me at all. It was, a, it was you know, some decent looking, looking pictures, but I didn't care about any of these people. You know, if Kenny had plowed into the deck. <laughs> it, it would have livened things up for you. Right. <laughs> and you could say they killed Kenny. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So overall on this, um again, I think I said this earlier. I'll say it again. I'll be generous and say a C minus, but I think that's being actually very generous. It's it, it's very run of the mill. It's actually probably a little less than run of the mill. Um pick it up for the thumb scan. <laughs> <laughs> ah boy um i'm gonna zig a little bit where everyone else zigged looking at this from the time it, it came out and you look at the cover with the subtitle true war exposes i think it possibly a kid at that time there's a war going on they're looking at this cover and you're seeing you know that lone anonymous GI taking on a, a commie tank 
you know, and blasting the heck out of them while protecting uh, a, a child here. The image is pretty close to one in the story represent, uh, from uh, from the innocence, the innocence story. It does show f- at the time over the top action. It sends the clear message that the commies are the bad guys. I mean, it's it, it's kind of serviceable art. So basing it at the time, if I was there in 1953, I would have given it a B minus. I think the interior art is fairly serviceable. It's clear and understandable. Um, the equipment is easily recognizable, and it's pretty close to the actual planes and things that were being used. There's some backgrounds, but not many. But I, th- I thought the art on the interior was acceptable. I gave it a B. Story over the stories overall, they're dry. The propaganda, they have somewhat action. It's very grounded in reality. It's almost like it's the news for a kid, and it's very predictable. I gave it leeway for the for the times and gave it a B minus, and the overall grade I gave a B minus. Right, that's fair. So that's it for our war. What is it good for episodes? <laughs> you dick. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks and, uh, for being had. But I'm... We'll see you all in a week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. And we are out. Well, that was fun. It was. I had a blast. You should bring shitty books more often. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I will not be collecting uh, True War exposés. (laughs) I don't know why not. I wonder what these things go for on the market. Oh, that that's you should ask that during the show. Now I've got to look that up. Let's see. What could I own a Warfront number 13 for? Holy shit. You've got to be kidding me. I guess it's expensive. Well, you know, eBay always comes up with the with the what do they call it? Best what's it called? The best match or yeah, best match first before it goes in like price order. 
But the first one that came up was like over, you know, it was 186. I'm like, are you kidding 186 me? 186 cents. But the the cheapest one on here at the moment, it's a, it's one of those friggin' slab books, which I hate. But it's a slab book, CGC 3.0, which is a really low grade, $56. And then there's an unslabbed one, fine condition, $98. Who is paying these prices? Well, you could go to my comic shop and get a CGC (laughs) 3.0 for $49 on consignment. That's nuts. All right, I'm looking now at the sold. Oh, you know what? There, there is no record of any sold on eBay. <laughs> I wonder why. I mean, there why. can't be that many copies of this out there. I mean, that's that's got to be why. Yeah, because it's a yeah, because it is a, a golden age comic that went through the fifties. So yeah, that's that's probably why it's so expensive. There's probably not that many copies of it, but. Again, it goes back to that thing we were talking about recently about merit. You know, I mean, okay, so it's rare. Is it any good? No. Yeah, my life will not be any worse for not owning this comic. (laughs) (laughs) Your life won't be any better for owning this comic. Please tell me you're still recording. (laughs) Yeah, we are. This will be the after the credits talk. Well, you know, number seven is a bargain in good condition for seven dollars and seventy cents. You know, if if you were an aficionado of this type of book, which you kind of are, Dave, but I could see spending seven bucks on a even even a fairly shitty comic that came out in the nineteen fifties if it's the kind of book you like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the eBay thing is just ridiculous. Prices are crazy. Yeah. Who the hell is getting this slammed anyway? <laughs> That's a good question. Until you oh sent this, God. I never even knew it existed. We need to do an episode sometime talking about that, because I am so sick of the whole slabbing thing. It we've, makes me we've sick. kind of hit on that on several occasions already. I don't think our I don't think our thoughts are any secret. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I'd forgotten that we had talked about it before. Yeah, I just I don't know the whole thing. Just I, I still just scratch my head. I'm like, why are people? spending this kind of money it's crazy well my thought process is i don't necessarily blame the people who spend the money to get it slabbed if they then turn around and sell it for more money because they had it slabbed right and believe I blame me, the people that, who spend the money to buy it because it's slabbed right exactly and believe me i've been sorely tempted many times to to slab books myself with the intention of selling them be, just because they do but i i the only reason i haven't done it maybe this makes me a damn fool but the reason i haven't done it is to me it just comes down to one of those you know you you got to stand by your principles type of things i i've been preaching for years that it's a scam and I firmly believe that, so I don't want to be called out as a hypocrite for then turning around, even though it, it would make monetary sense to, hey, you know, if there's stupid people out there, why not bilk them, you know? 
from that angle, it makes perfect sense. But I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. I just, I think the whole thing is a scam, and I just hate to see people, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, I have, I have, and fairly recently too, have acquired some really nice books in very nice condition that I, I couldn't touch if they were CGC, and. To me, that that's the big ridiculousness right there. Is you know you got these people that you know spending this insane amount of money on these slabbed books, and in some cases you could own a nicer copy for a hell of a lot less money. You know, and and the only thing that's making that difference is that you know you you've got these telling you it's in such and such great, and then putting it in a case so that you can't ever open it and read it. Versus whether or not you want to run the risk of, you know, did Joe Blow on eBay give a decent grade to this or not? You know, did they do it? You know, are they do they know what the hell they're talking about? And I'll take that risk most any time, you know, because I'm not all that hung up on condition anyway. Wouldn't it be funny if it was revealed to be a scam? That it's just a cup, a cover and a back cover and nothing in between. Oh I, yeah, I see what you yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I think it's a scam already anyway, but yeah, it, it actually it wouldn't surprise me all that much. And I did some looking into this a while ago. I was reading up on it because there was a whole dust up on one of the one of the Facebook groups I was in a while back about the subject, and somebody posted a link to something or other. So I went and I was reading up on it, and apparently there has been. Um, a small movement recently of where it, it seems to be growing, you know, gaining steam of people that are very, you know, discontent with CGC claiming fraud, you know, that they're, they're putting these grades on there and then they seal it all up thinking that you're never going to check. And pe- some people out there have, and there was one, it was a, a business. It was like a company that was actually starting to, quality check them which is that's been my point all along is that these guys set themselves up in business they have no oversight whatsoever so who's i mean you're just taking their word for it what you're saying is who who watches the watches exactly yeah and somebody has stepped up to start watching them and from what they're saying their quality control sucks that you know they're they're making these claims that in a lot of cases are are unsubstantiated as far as grading goes which undercuts the whole idea of their company and what they're doing and i've been saying that shit right from the beginning is you know who the fuck are they to, to to set themselves up as this ultimate authority but the problem is, is that so many of the people that are into it now, the ones that are spending, you know, this ridiculous amount of money, they're all kids that have no concept of what the history of CGC is. They don't remember a time before it existed. So they don't even know that these guys just popped out of the woodwork one day and set themselves up. You know, and that's that's been my bone of contention with it from from the very beginning because I remember when they came along and I remember my my initial reaction is still my reaction today is who the f- are they? Who are they to say that they're the authority? Who are these people? <laughs> but 
you know, it's like if if you buy stuff and I buy a lot from my comic shop. Yeah, I if do you're too. buying things based on they're saying this is fine condition, you know, excellent, whatever, and you actually get it and it's not up to par. Eventually, enough people are going to complain and folks are going to go, screw them. I'm not buying from them. That's not the case. Well, with these things sealed in these cases, no one's getting it and going, well, let me crack this open just to make sure. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, another thing they've been accused of quite a bit lately is uh, fixing the grade depending on how much money you're willing to pay. (laughs) I've read that a number of times recently, too, where, you know, somebody – Either they made the offer or the offer was made to them and they adjusted the grade based on payment. And that that totally voids the whole thing right there. If you're going to give me a better grade because I'm slipping you extra money, then that's bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're defrauding the whole point of the thing. So, yeah, and I've suspected that since the beginning anyway. <laughs> 